Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stancil. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. This episode of the Farm Bits podcast is our first farmer-focused episode, and we are very excited about it. We plan to incorporate farmer-focused episodes often over the course of this podcast, both as a way to expose you to the contemporary technologies and to provide a broader perspective of how farmers view digital agriculture in Nebraska. As you know, if you've listened to our previous two episodes, we are focusing on harvest right now. Today, we are joined by farmers from three operations in Nebraska. Angela Knuth is a member of a fourth-generation farming family that farms around Wahoo, Nebraska. She is the precision technology manager in the operation that she shares with her husband and two sons. Our second farmer, John Oler King, farms non-irrigated corn and soybeans near Elmwood, Nebraska, where he also raises pumpkins as a seasonal business. Also joining us for this Farmer Focus episode are Phil and John Christensen, who farm together near Aurora, Nebraska, following in their father's footsteps. As you will see in this episode, while these farmers all share a lot in common, they also have different perspectives and experiences that have shaped how they use digital agriculture in their operations. First, we will discuss operational aspects of harvest. Then we will delve into yield data management and utilization and conclude by discussing future technologies for harvest operations. Now let's get started with this Farmer Focus episode. We will begin this episode hearing from John Oler King discussing his biggest operational challenges during harvest while making efficient use of his time interviewing with Samantha while operating the grain cart. Uh, biggest operational challenge during harvest, probably labor. And unfortunately, I'm fortunate right now I have, I have some people that can help me. Uh, my father, 87, still does some. My father-in-law is retired, semi-retired is helping and I have another neighbor that I farm for uh, who helps out once in a while too but in a few years once they're once they're gone it'll be me and I'll be pretty dependent on my son who's Mm -hmm. 16 right now but uh, I'd say labor labor is the operational challenge. Similarly the Christiansons also perceive their biggest challenge being logistics and labor management. Yeah yeah, I think a lot of it's the yeah just your your operational and you know logistics you know challenges and um, you know, some of it's just labor and having enough, you know, people or you're kind of making do with what you, you have for, um, you know, help on any given day. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of it, I guess is, you know, like you're kind of alluding to is that the, you know, sending trucks to the elevator, how long is that, uh, that trip going to take? And, you know, we kind of utilize our, you know, smartphones there typically to kind of see where, you know, the guy with the truck is at and, you know, whether he's, you know, close to returning from the elevator or a ways off or, um, you know, that sort of thing. If yeah, everyone kind of knows what's happening as far as where trucks are, where, you know, um, whether, whether the grain carts are full, mm-hmm. um, that, that helps everyone do a better job because they can, um, always be thinking about what is the next step? How do we keep the combine moving? 
For the Knuth Farms operation, Angela sees logistics, particularly related to time and efficiency, to be their biggest challenge. Because harvest is so intense, you know, there's so much equipment involved, people involved, logistics, and they're long days. So how do you fit in the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you have animals. You know, how do you get those done? How do you get enough rest? Um, I'm out there with them. The boys are out there. Um, do you have your meals ready? You know, all the, all those external things are the hardest to because something something doesn't get done. <clears throat> People can be on edge. It's it's just um, a lot going on. So yeah, John, we we've got covers to put in um, soil sampling to get. Mm-hmm. We do all that you know, in-house. So it's like, yeah. So, I mean, the, the goal is to never have the combine stop, mm-hmm. you know, always going. And, um, and the timing of that is, that is, I mean, that's a challenge, but it's fun when it, when it's humming. Yeah. Yeah. That, you, you know, get a load, get to that truck. I mean, I can unload and just be gone and, and, uh, he never has to, never has to stop. As farmers do with most challenges they face, these farmers have been resourceful with existing tools to develop methods for overcoming their harvest challenges. They're also thoughtful about potential technological improvements that would be helpful in solving their challenges. The Christensen shared that they have been piecing together free apps to help manage their harvest logistics. Right now we're kind of piecing together that information using Life360, uh, using the, the the co-ops app, yep. uh, using the cell phone and an awful lot, using yeah. the radios and the and the combine and the grain cart to to try and communicate with with each other. But if we had an app, you know, that was always updating uh, people's positions, wait yeah. times for trucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can kind of get into the delivery information there with you know what yeah what was the. What did the scale take it say in terms of moisture and 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 we use in life three sixty to to track the the truck operator and uh, determine whether he's in town at the elevator, whether he's coming back. One of the pieces of information that's kind of missing from that is uh, it would be nice to 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 know how long he's going to be at the at the elevator. It would sure help. Uh, when we're we're making decisions as to whether we haul to town that day or if we're going to uh, haul the corn into our own on-farm storage on that particular day, a lot of the 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 apps and the that we're using are are free apps. You know, we're using Life 360. We we talked a little bit about using Slack. Uh, we use that just to keep notes of. Of calibrations. If we change calibration in the combine, we'll put that in Slack. Um, that becomes handy because in the next year, when we go back and say, hey, what was our calibration last year? We can go back a year later and say, okay, this is what it was. Yeah, that seems consistent with, with what we're doing now. We'll keep track of GPS shifts in there if we have a field that's shifted from the on the guidance tracks one way or another. Uh, so yeah, a lot of what we're using is, is free. Um, you know, the, and just piecing that all together to make, to make everything work. Similarly, John would like to be able to have more remote monitoring, tracking, and control technologies, 
particularly for combine settings and grain transportation. One of the things I'd like to see, and it probably is available, I'd like to be, I know you can monitor the combine, certain things with the combine from a remote location. I'd like to be able to make those adjustments from a remote location. Uh, there's a lot of times if I have somebody in the combine that's not familiar with it, they know how to run the basics but not setting it, and now the combines will set themselves. They've adjusted that, mm -hmm. or they've uh, done those things. But I would like to see, you know, I could control it from the iPad and just kind of monitor some things there and make that adjustment from when I'm away and, and not have to try and explain it over the phone. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to track, and they are doing a little bit now with, uh, they have an app with the co-op that will tell me when that truck gets there and when it's dumped and when it's back and tells me all the information so I can kind of track it that way, but it'd be nice going ahead knowing, uh, being able to see the line, and I'm sure with a request or two, they could put up a camera, a guy could log on and see mm -hmm. it, or, or yeah. you know, or, or if they had some way of tracking, you know, what your wait time is going to be ahead of time before you send the truck, so if you want to send it in a different place. The Christiansons believe the solution to this problem might come through crowdsourcing technologies similar to modern navigation software. Yeah, it would depend on, yeah, either kind of, I guess, information provided by the, you know, ethanol plants or the, you know, the elevators themselves in terms of, of, of weight or, you know, kind of, you know, crowdsourced type, you know, information there where you've got various operators in the area were, you know, sharing, you know, I arrived at the elevator at X time and I left it at X time and being willing to kind of share that between, you know, between different farmers and it's similar to what Google Maps does in, with, with traffic. traffic. Yeah. That'd be a potential future, future uh, application of that kind of technology is to sure. estimate, Est yeah, estimate wait times, wait times and, and that sort of thing. And, sure. Um, I guess we've kind of seen work in that area before, but, you know, I, I don't think there's anything um, commercially available right now that, that does something like that. For Knuth Farms, intensive spreadsheets help them to manage load, inventory, marketing, and transportation decisions during harvest. We have a pretty intense um, spreadsheet, like I mentioned, that mm -hmm. that tracks, I mean, it's the, the date, time, uh, uh, load, on the on the cart, um, if it's wet, moisture um, shrink already calculated, um, and then what truck it's on, where it's going to, and then we have a summary sheet for each field by truck where it's at, and then um, and then dry down. So we know by when we har when we're done harvesting that field, we know um, exactly how much we have in each field, and then we have a summary a summary page for all the fields that shows where every bushel is and total bushels and shrink and all. So you're using that for your inventory management or using it for like marketing of your grain or helping oh, yeah. make those decisions? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Carrie, as you mentioned um, earlier, we don't have enough storage for all of our, mm -hmm. our grain. So he, yeah, he's got to market some ahead of time. And, and then that helps, that helps knowing what load needs to go where. And, and, you know, um, if the elevators are uh, slow, you know, that slows us down. It's like, no, we have to know what our bend situation is. In addition to their use of spreadsheets, they have started using more integrated telematic technologies to improve their efficiencies and manage labor, grain transportation, and spatial harvest decisions.
you know, we've played a little bit, uh, played around a little bit with how you should harvest a field, you know, mm -hmm. um, to make it more efficient. Because, like, um, if the elevator is really slow, uh, that's one thing with uh, Farm Mobile that helps us a lot. So Carrie's got that in his cab so he can see where the truck drivers are. And so if they're back further um, in the line, he knows that he has time to go do the, the not so efficient parts of the field so that when they come, um, they're, you know, he's, he's got a load, but then he can get another load real fast for the, the next guy that's coming. So it's like um, mm -hmm. being able to visually see where people are at because you, you know, we have mobile phones, but for some reason, all of a sudden, they're not used when you're <laughs> sitting in line. <laughs> yep. To tell, tell, and we have two ways, but some, but sometimes the truckers just don't. So, yeah. how is Farm Mobile doing that? Do you like, is there like a puck in each yep. truck? Yep, puck in a truck. <laughs> That's awesome, and then it maps it for. It, yeah, it's a real time uh, tracking of where they're at. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and then, so, you know, if you use the satellite imagery view, he can see how far they're back. You can't see the other trucks, but you can see how far away from the way scale. So, you know, that, that you've got time. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you, yeah, we see everything from how fast, you know, how fast they're traveling to, I mean, just everything. So yeah, it's, that's very helpful. We track everything we do, um, machine wise also uh input wise and people wise we track that and have a cost for all of that and then uh what we do then is put that in so that we do that with farm mobile and we do that with cropzilla they share data farm mobiles are telematics mm -hmm. and th that automatically dumps into cropzilla's um czma which is basically it's given us our cost for each activity. I mean, wow, like that. How much of it is you have to hand put it in versus just uploading like layers, like your planting data or whatever? Um, with with Farm Mobile and Crobzilla, um, the that stuff is seamless. But I mean, we still go into Crobzilla and make a field plan. Okay. And uh, because the, the combination of those two is only uh, machine data, whereas with Farm mobile, I can go in and look at um, field uh, field data and um, look at, uh, we get our yield maps from that as well. <laughs> and then with um, Cropzilla, it's, um, yeah, it's manual as far as putting in your field plan, putting in your mixes. And so that, yeah, that, it gets a little tedious. <laughs> but if you do, you know, if you do your diligence, then we've got some really good data at the yeah. end of the year. Getting good data is critical to getting positive results from yield data-driven management decisions. Getting a good yield monitor calibration is the first step toward ensuring good data. While this can be a challenge given the time crunch of harvest, farmers understand the importance of good calibration. For the Christiansons, dialing in the calibration at the beginning of harvest and maintaining calibration throughout harvest is key. We're focused on it on the first couple of fields, getting making sure everything's calibrated. But uh, after the first couple of fields, if we're in similar, similar motion, yeah. or if, if we're in similar test weight, for corn, we'll stay with that calibration, but we'll just be checking it every every so often. And we've got a scale in the in the grain cart, yeah. so we'll just call over and say, "Hey, I'm gonna unload. Let me know what the weight was 
and we'll just double check the calibration. John Olerking also values proper calibration and emphasizes the importance of calibration assurance using post-harvest data. There is some logic that if the data is only off, you know, if it's off 10%, it's 10% off the whole field, but that's not good logic. It needs to be fairly exact. Um, and so I'd like to, to do that. Um, on the back side, just making sure tickets match with fields and and then entering those and doing the same thing, correcting all that data, making sure acres are right, boundary lines are right, you know, the the yield, the bushels are correct, the moistures are correct, so that all matches up and, and checking that and making sure that yield data is there um, and, and clean. Um, you know, we, we ran into a situation earlier and this is, again, I jumped in the combine, thought it switched everything for me. It stayed with the corn head, not the bean head. So we have one field that's cutting at 20 foot wide instead of 35 foot wide. Oh, okay. So I have all these stripes through my field. That will not be good data. As a farmer in southeastern Nebraska, John has to deal with steep slopes and terraces, which can pose a challenge for harvest logistics and data quality. As far as yield data, that is a problem, I think. Um, especially combining beans, corn not so much. But when we're running uh, the head that we are and you come around the hill and you have it to where it's two header widths wide because the terraces are no close together. Uh, if you can take full header widths, that's, that's you know good data. But when you come and you're only taking three or four rows where they don't quite, where they're not spaced equally, uh, I don't know if it's calculating proper data necessarily or, or accurate. So you, you infer some of that a little bit. If it's um, 40 or 50 bushel on one side and 40, 50 or bushel on the other side and you have an anomaly in the middle that's less, I kind of interpolate that myself and go, it probably feathers across. That's just a narrow band that we took and it just wasn't. And that probably takes more calibrating of the, of the yield monitor off, off the beginning. But I still don't know if you can get it dialed down to that much when you're measuring 35 feet and only cutting five feet, mm -hmm. if it can sense that that well. So that is a little bit of a challenge is, is getting 100% clean data in a terrace situation. Practicing good data storage is also key to effective data usage. Farmers have come up with a variety of practices that fit their operation, including cloud and local storage methods. Bill and John Christensen prefer cloud storage methods. I, I started farming in 2008, and we started using yield mapping right away. That was the first thing that we that we used. Um, um, and so we have yield data going back until 2008. But until, until there was cloud, we were just saving that onto a, a hard drive. Um, in fact, I had a hard drive once that that uh, failed and had to spend $2,000 to have it recovered by someplace in California because all the yield data was on there. And, uh, and so now having it on the, on the cloud and having it upload to the cloud automatically has really made things a lot easier. It's, it's, it's something you don't really think about too much anymore because you, you finish a field or even while you're in the field harvesting, uh, you can see that data uploading and be able to go in there right away and and start looking at it so that's that's been that's been useful dealing with a lot of data can be a challenge but for angela knuth her priority is local storage where she can control transfer modification and access i mean we got a lot of data and mm -hmm. um i i just don't i mean we've got hard drives full and i've had 
of raids in the past and they've crashed or they got they were shut off and then it does you know they they puts the data in multiple drives and then if it t doesn't start up right so mm -hmm. it's it's tricky but it needs to be done yeah i usually store it on two different hard drives um and i have it in software packages but i don't really store it uh remotely yet you know mm -hmm. so that's what we do but um I got to get organized. <laughs> there was just, I mean, storage-wise, I just don't know which which way to go yet. And we're pretty organized. We just need, I mean, we have a lot on Google Drive and, mm -hmm. and like that. I'm not, yeah. not sure that's the right thing to do either, but it's easy. Data compatibility is a major challenge, particularly with machine data. It'd be nice if everything interfaced across the board. Mm -hmm. I would say if you could go from, if it were colorblind, you know, the ISO stuff is supposed to do it, but that's a nightmare. I worked with that. Uh, it would be nice if those things were all somewhat compatible. It'd be nice if not everybody was so proprietary with everything. It's like certain information gets locked into some place and then it costs an arm and a leg to get it back out. Mm -hmm. uh, if, those, if those systems could talk or if there was a place for it to talk. John Ullerking has overcome this challenge using Climate Corporation's Field View program. The, the one I like the best probably is the field view. Mm -hmm. uh, have been on board with that since the beginning. And just the simplicity of it. Uh, I like the I like the stuff you can do in the yield monitors, but it takes more time. It's, it, it's removing the card, getting it to the computer. Um, I get lackadaisical with that. So by I wait until the end of the season and then find out half my data is missing because the card didn't write correctly. Mm -hmm. With the field view, uh, it may not be as sophisticated in some respects at this point, but if I see it on the screen, I know it's logging to the iPad or to the cloud, and I know I have it wherever I want to look at it in the future. So that's been really helpful. FieldView also provides multiple useful analysis to John King in a user-friendly, easy, comprehensible format. One, it's just to see the performance of the hybrid in the field. I mean, and what we've done to to try and improve yield uh, yield goals. So we'll look at the field and see, you know, is our fertilizer program working? Is it is it uh, where are our weak spots in the field? How can we improve that? Those things, you know, one of the other re one of the other things that's really nice is like with the field view, I can just hit the button and print my acreage and yield reports right to the crop insurance company. I don't have to spend a lot of time doing that. It can go to FSA then as well. Um, so the yield data is basically just analytical at this point. Seeing, you know, what we need to improve and how we how we did over the year. And, and I guess that's that's a lot of it mm -hmm. with the yield data. And you mentioned using it for prescription maps. Like, are you doing a lot of variable rate seeding? All my corn is variable rate seeding. The soybeans this year, I didn't do any variable rate. But all the corn ones are done uh, with... Uh, Populate with variable rate populations, and I do generate those off of the yield maps, yield maps, and uh, satellite data. John has found FieldView's prescription generation algorithms helpful for everything from nutrient applications to seeding. I've used it to create nitrogen scripts. I've created, used it to create uh, population scripts for planning, tracking. Uh, 
where I've sprayed different things, test trials and, and, and varieties and hybrids, planting dates. It, it's kind of my little pocketbook in mm -hmm. the, that a lot of guys used to carry. And it's nice because I can access it from anywhere in the world at any time. So, and anybody else can that I give permission to. So that's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. And then it also does some simple analysis of like different hybrids performing on different soil types and things like that, right? Correct. Yeah, it gathers a lot of information and aggregates it and separates it how you want. And and uh, there's probably a few features that can be enhanced, but for the most part, it really does a nice job, and it's it's user friendly. That's the really nice thing about it is. Mm -hmm. um, most anybody who can run around the iPad can can figure out what they want to find. You don't need a computer science degree to, to get it there and, and analyze the information. So you can okay. do their automatic script and just go off of that if you want to. And then within that automatic script, there's a low, a medium, and a high, or there's five settings in there, and you can go within that range. If that still doesn't satisfy you, you can break off from that and change those numbers manually and do it that way. How they're coming up with it, I don't know that I, other than just a lot of aggregated data that they've got, because they are able to see all that data uh, from every grower um, over different, you know, fields, soil types, they've got all that in the system. It then starts to generate the populations and the, and the yield goals from that. The Christiansons have found value in having real-time data via the John Deere Operations Center. Well, we, yeah, we use the, uh, the the My John Deere, the operations app in the combine. And so when we're when we're running it, well, a lot of times we'll have uh, the variety map pulled up from planning so we can see where in the field certain certain hybrids or varieties are planted. Uh, we'll also pull up the uh, harvest data from from years previous so that we can uh, if we're if we're in a particular area of the field and we're seeing lower yields or higher yields, we can look back at previous year's yield information yeah. and see whether it's a pattern or if it's just a, a one-time yeah. dip or, or spike in yield. They also use John Deere's Apex program for generating variable rate prescriptions based on their yield data. When we're creating our, uh, our prescriptions for uh, seeding rate, we usually use our yield data from the previous year or the previous several years. Um, we, we usually uh, are uh, uh, just creating usually just an irrigated rate and a dry land rate. But we, what we found is that the, it's, it's not always just what's under the pivot. A lot of times in a field we might have a little bit of runoff from the pivot that actually irrigates the portion of the field that's downhill. And so we'll include that in our irrigated area. And so when we're creating prescription maps, we're basically just tracing around previous years. You'll do that to create those prescriptions. Angela Knuth is exploring AgSolver as a program for helping to determine spatial ROI in making farming practice decisions. So with the yield maps, like in oh, yeah. the past, we had used the yield maps to make variable rate nutrient applications. Okay. So we'd use, we'd use those heavily, but going forward, uh, trying to get to the point where, have you heard of AgSolver? No. It's a software okay. that will take your yield data plus all your cost of production and then give you a cost, a return on ROI, whatever, um, on each acre. Wow, for all your inputs and then your real, wow. Yeah, that's where we need to get to. Um, I would like to use that 
to um, farm it a little, some acres a little different. Comparing input application programs is particularly important in their operation. We look at uh, each input and how much it costs in there. You know, our product mixes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got each one in there and what that costs us. Because, um, yeah, Carrie's got different programs. Like um, there's a one-pass program versus a two. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. what is the cost difference on that? Yep. CropZilla has also proven to be a useful program for scenario modeling, which is helping with financial decisions for the Knuth Farms operation. Um, well, like with CropZilla itself, um, we can do a lot of scenario um, building. Like last winter, the question was, do we buy a bunning spreader? or do we just rent it? Um, mm -hmm. And we did the numbers and it's like, you don't buy it, you can rent it and it'll work better. Um, so I guess our goals with the data um, is the return on investment. And then also, well, what do I wanna say? Um, the, the, the healthy soil movement mm -hmm. and, and um, the the critters in the soil, the biology and all that. It's like, what is what is the impact of the inputs that we're putting on there? How do we measure that? That's hard. Yes. Um, the equipment is the equipment um, the right size and uh, for the fields. We actually are oversized. We know that, um, but efficiencies are are are. Pretty good, but you know the return because of the cost of the the size of our tractor, or the size of our combine. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just you can be really efficient, but if the market isn't paying you for it, you know, mm -hmm. you have to take a hard look. And we're looking at things like that. Um, the Christiansons have even found ways of using multi-year yield data to spatially identify potential pest pressure and unexplained variability. We've seen in the past, we've, I think we've kind of picked up on a few fields where uh, what we think is a uniform area of the field, um, but for some reason we're seeing a dip in yield. We'll go back and look at that, that yield data from the previous year and, and several years back, and we'll be able to see that there's a trend. And in one case, we, I think we determined that we had nematodes in that area of the, and we were seeing lower bean yields. Yeah. We kind of noticed that there was yeah. this, this area of the field that was pretty small to begin with. And, uh, and, and, and well, we didn't notice it yeah. the, those first couple of years, but then uh, maybe in the, the third year, we started to notice that area was getting bigger. And then we went and looked back at the previous yield data and we said, okay, there's something going on here that that's not explained by, by the, uh, you know, the topology of the topology fertility or anything like that yeah new opportunities for ecosystem services and programs also require extensive data reporting including yield data last mm -hmm. winter i spent getting ready getting information information ready for organic certification and nori which is a carbon network that you know they pay us for storing carbon so and that was really intense because they wanted data from way back to, from 2000 they wanted all your field activities so between which actually they coincide the organic and the carbon coincided okay. really well mm -hmm. together but that took up all my time well programs using a cloud-based storage method can automate the data compilation process 
Farmers like Angela may prefer an automated process that is compatible with their local storage preferences. How to pull it in together with not so much hands-on? I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, if we can make, if we could work with software developers for um, APIs that would we could dump data in, and then they would just pull it in. I mean, we have it a certain way. You guys mm-hmm. talk to us about how do, how's our uh, data? How's it set up? And then then make an API so that you can just upload it and and uh, do the magic then we just we just don't have time to do all this especially mm-hmm. now now that with these like these uh, ecosystem services and, and organics there's so much more recording mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of recording and it's like we just don't have I mean when we go out to the field we're we're working with um, farm OS you've heard of them mm-hmm. the open platform Briefly. yeah um, we're working with them to uh, for an app on the phone, so that um, when we every time we go out there, we have Farm Mobile tracking us. But the little things, when you know uh, what you know, if there's a problem, why why did it take you from one till seven to do something that shouldn't have took that long? Mm-hmm. So just that that type of that type of recording is so important to help especially as you get older, help you remember mm-hmm. <laughs> what went on. And, um, and it just makes, you know, decision-making during the winter a lot easier when you have that data in front of you. Similarly, data and software consolidation are immense issues for farmers trying to improve their data management systems. Having data stored locally is critical to some farmers like Angela, particularly as they are trying to determine which software works best for their operation. Carrie has his spreadsheets. I have my spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting information off of software. It's, you know, we, we need to consolidate. Yeah. And th- I think that's probably a really common challenge. There's so many companies with so many different softwares, you know, so many different things that it's hard to, you know, there's not one that works for all of it. And so. Bingo. We need something like a, a, a Google um, that you can you know, you can have all these different modules plugging in whichever one you want because mm. because there's multiple softwares doing the same thing, but one guy might like this one better than this one. So, but you, you just can't interchange. It takes forever to move data. And I've lost, not lost data, but so there's been a couple companies that I've been with one for a long time and they got bought out. They didn't update and they charged more. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Right. But all my stuff was on their cloud. So it comes, you have it mm-hmm. on cards. Right. It either comes back to you in just static, you know, not connected. Right. It, uh, in their form of the file mm-hmm. where you can't use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it doesn't come back to you at all. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the things that I think all software sh- should do if they're really a friend of the farmer is let them have it back on their PC again. It's your data. Yep. Yeah, they should They should provide a PC version of it so that when they want to move, they can move in without that penalty because that's, that's wrong. I don't know. It, it just needs to be in-house, but you also have to have a backup. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you have to 
we have to be able to use whatever software we want. Mm -hmm. For John Olerking, his biggest priorities for new technologies are usability and reliability, since support resources are sometimes limited during peak demand periods like harvest. That's probably, a, a, you asked about operational challenges before too. That was one of the reasons I went to field views because finding somebody to analyze the data or just to get it off and help me analyze it, those people weren't around. That's, a, that's something that's really changed in the last mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years, but it's still really a need. There's just not enough of those people around, and especially at dealerships. Uh, it used to be that they needed guys to turn wrenches. They need more guys with computers now and laptops to diagnose a lot of these problems and, and answer questions. So it's, that's probably one of the things is just becoming more user-friendly and more people available to, to help with it. Another major gap in modern software systems is integration of traditional note-taking systems with digital storage methods. As Angela previously stated, a service like Google would be beneficial with multiple modules, including potentially searchable notes. What, what I'm finding is uh, the gap that we have with our software is that, um, so the machines don't tell you those, you know, those notes that you would be writing down. Mm -hmm. And it's fine if you write it on a notebook, a little notepad, but that doesn't... That it doesn't, doesn't match it. It yeah, it doesn't upload to the computer. Mm -hmm. It's static. It's not, you know, it's not dynamic. And um, we need that. That's why I'm we're using PharmOS, trying to keep catch those notes that are missed. You know, it's layers of mm -hmm. information. And that way, when we go and look at the CropZilla numbers, we mm -hmm. can put we can put real, real live um, situation information. PharmOS is so important to get running because... Exactly. If the puck is not working, we lose that data. So that's why we need a second, a second, you know, we need uh, not a well, second layer or we need to overlap mm -hmm. on that so that we don't miss anything. Hmm. So because we've had that before where the uh, puck went bad and so that wasn't collected and nobody kept any notes. And, right. Hmm. Yeah. When asked about the future of data collection, particularly the value of increasing data resolution, John Olerking had this to say. You know, what does the future hold? I, I, I think it does. I mean, a lot of this information I'm collecting, I don't think, sometimes it's going to be applicable to me in some respects. It's more my son and the future generations. Mm -hmm. I think as technology increases, we start going to row-by-row -row planning or, or, if you will, robot planning where they're doing it individually, I think all that information becomes more pertinent. And so I think, you know, right now, somebody say, well, may say, well, that's not important at all to me. Mm -hmm. Well, it may not be to me, but in 10 years or five years, it may be really important to my son or who knows, consumer, the, the purchaser, you know, the end user, whoever, whoever may want that information. And I guess that's, that would be cool. I'd just see some of that. Mm -hmm. You know, header loss, like if you can see that per row. I mean, I don't know. There's all sorts of things that are, I'm sure, are possible. And I just, like I said, I'm not aware of right now. So. John also expounded upon the value of aggregated data in the future of data utilization. That's been the problem in the past is everybody does a test plot mm -hmm. and puts it on their best ground. Right. So is it really realistic data? It's, it's more than likely no. Um, so when you get full field data, I mean, the field we're in now is 270 acres. If they can pull that data in, that's a pretty good representation of what this particular uh, variety is doing. 
in, in this type of weather year you get. Like I said, it may not be so much beneficial to me, but my son or my grandson, after they have another 30, 40 years of data collected, yeah. might be really, really key. The Christiansons are beginning to explore Corteva's granular platform for understanding their operations performance. We, you know, uh, have been using granular here this this past year, but uh, uh, we really haven't explored what, you know, how that's going to kind of integrate with, um, you know, our harvest operations. Yeah, and if that's, um, you know, I, I think we both kind of hope that that would be a, uh, a useful tool in the cab, but I guess we just, we haven't got there yet. Angela Knuth has explored both granular and field view and provides another perspective based on their fit in her operation. I, we, we tried both of them because you gotta, you gotta see what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm concerned about what they, what they're making on the backside of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm also concerned with, uh, farmers not, I'm concerned with farmers farming that that um, those tasks out too much because it seems like you know uh, like you hear a lot with the the input dealers around here. It's like mm-hmm. let us do your yield maps yep. and we'll tell you what you need to put on there. It's like yep. yeah. So what are we? Are we just serfs? You know, it's like let's uh, let's do your own homework. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. That's what I fear with the the companies that you know just sweep away your data and then they give you a report and but it's like no i don't i don't want some big company coming and saying hey we'll take care of all your problems for you it's mm-hmm. like no we want help but we don't want you to be in control Again, yeah i just worry about once because like i mm-hmm. said it, it's happened twice where um you, your data if it comes back to you it's not usable mm-hmm. again yeah. you know and and that's where it's like you need to be able to yeah you know move it from one piece of software to the other and that's why farm mobile and uh, cropzilla are so nice because they're talking to each other mm-hmm. they have no problem with that it makes them stronger yeah similarly while angela sees the value of the cloud she prioritizes data redundancy through local storage she is still looking for the right data storage offering for farmers and then uh, the moving to the cloud is a good is good, but I think it I think it's taken. It's like how do I say? It? I wish wish there was a um, independent just a storage that that farmers. I, I know they're out there like CBW mm-hmm. and all them, but and ASUS. Um, so I wish there was a uh, a place. And I've talked to a, a guy. His his same idea. Um, where farmers could store their data again and then but it could be pieced out with with the blockchain and 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 plus you could you know bring it into any software you want but it's stored off site as well mm-hmm. as what you have like on your pc you know if you have just one year or if you keep five years of data i'd love to see that yeah blockchain is a particularly interesting technology angela mentioned which has implications for protecting financial contracts and other important information like agricultural data The potential for blockchain's impact in agriculture may be a future topic of this podcast, but for now, you should understand blockchain as a ledger of mathematically linked records or transactions that is distributed digitally amongst all participants on the ledger. Any record added to the ledger is instantly observable by all parties and must remain unchanged as it is secured through the linkages. This is essentially like nesting glass safes inside of each other 
and needing to know the codes of every interior safe to open the exterior safe. That's not a perfect analogy, but hopefully it helps to create a picture of the blockchain. With blockchain, you know, we should be, we should be using that to tag our data and then anytime someone wants to use it, they have to buy it mm -hmm. each time. You know, it, it, put it out there. They can have it, but they got to pay for it. And they only get it every time they use it. If they use it in this market or, and then they use it in this market, they have to pay each time. Phil and John Christensen's biggest advice for other farmers looking to invest in new technologies is to invest in and use cloud-based services. If they do have the capability with their, their machinery to have the data uploaded to the, to the cloud, that is... That is pretty handy, it is. and especially then being able to use an app in the in the combine or or even, or the grain cart operator wants to see what hybrid are we in yeah. now. Yeah, that's, that's a putting those to to use. If if you have it already and maybe you're not using it, it's it's useful to use. When asked for his biggest piece of advice, John Olerking suggested these technologies that are relevant to harvest operations. You know, uh, one of the first ones that was probably a big, a big money saver and time saver for us and, and yield increaser was row shutoffs uh, on the planter. That was, that's a simple technology. If, if a guy doesn't have that on his planter or drill, that, that's a must. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the next one would be yield data or, you know, collecting yield data. If you're going to go to the, if you want to know what your farm's doing and really want to improve, I think you need to have data to, to, to do. And you got, you've got to be able to do that. So I think that's important. You've got to be able to get that and get it in a format that you can, you can understand and can work with. Um, that was one of the problems, as I said before, you get it out, you get some of your print and then you're like, what do I do with it? So that was, you know, I probably lost 10 years on that, just trying to find that field view. You can, there are some things that you can do with that program, just with the touch of a finger that you can singulate out a, a specific part of the field. It will tell you how many acres that is, what the yield was in that particular area. And that's stuff that took hours before on mm -hmm. a computer. But I do think that's one, if a farmer is gonna get started, if you're gonna look at one, who have, have you not done a lot of technological stuff? That something like that is easy to to use and farmer friendly and can get you a baseline. Then as you want to progress, as you understand it, there's other programs that probably are more sophisticated. To Angela Knuth, the most important thing is to own and understand the value of your farm data. Well, I, I really think it's important to own your data. So I would recommend keeping control of it as much as possible, whatever that entails for their farm. For us, I think it's uh, better uh, storage on farm and then finding a trusted neutral site. Well, like we talked about with a place where farmers could upload their data and then and then buyers could come and and they mm -hmm. buy each time. Uh, that's to me what I would recommend p uh, farmers start moving towards because data is a new revenue stream for farmers. Thank you to all of these farmers, John and Phil Christensen, Angela Knuth, and John King for interviewing with us. Harvest is a busy time for everyone involved in agriculture, but especially for farmers, and we appreciate them taking the time for this podcast. My favorite part of this episode was learning how each of these farmers has pieced together technologies that work for them to solve the challenges they face during harvest. 
Basically, these farmers are doing what computer science folks might call bootstrapping digital agriculture, which is a topic we'd like to explore more on this podcast at some point in the near future. For me, my greatest takeaway was you need to find what works best for your operation. If data privacy and flexibility is your priority, it may take lots of spreadsheets, careful data transport, and diligent data input. But on the flip side, if there are a lot of companies that make data input very easy to use, but it may be difficult to make adjustments to this data later on. So it's just what works best for you. This Farmer Focus podcast was a great experience for us and we hope it was for you as well. If you want your perspective to be included on a Farmer Focus podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. If you enjoyed this episode and it sounds like something you'd listen to each week, subscribe to the podcast and set your notifications to let you know each time we release a podcast. We would love to hear from you with your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email at nedigitalag at unl.edu, on Twitter at nedigitalag, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. See you next week on another episode of Farm Bits.